On Christmas Eve of 1968, the Apollo 8 circled the moon and headed back for home. Um, as they made a turn, um, what caught their eye was the earth up against the black darkness of space. And as they looked upon the earth, um, they spoke as billions of people were listening to a live broadcast, they spoke. And when they spoke, they didn't quote Einstein or the Big Bang Theory. They quoted God and the Bible. They said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Today, as we begin 2024 together, we are beginning a new series. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 3. Uh, We've called the series Origin. Uh, Obviously, that means beginning. Um, And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next uh, four weeks together. Um, I think we all have this desire to kind of go back where we came from. I think we would all probably agree with that. Uh, I I came, uh, I grew up in this house on Concord Road in the very hard concrete jungle of Brentwood, Tennessee, right? That's a joke, by the way. Uh, but, But there's this house over there that I grew up in, and I love to drive by there. Uh, anytime I'm in the area, I drive by, and it's just, it's good to remember those things. It's where I came from. And so if you didn't come from here and you came from somewhere else, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have a, even a fascination, I think, to know where we came from. Uh, Ancestry.com. Many of you in this room, you've probably done that and submitted something because there's just something inside of us that wants to know where we came from because where we came from it shapes us. That's what our origin is. Um, I believe these chapters in Genesis 1 through 3 are probably uh, the most important chapters in all of the Bible. 
Because these chapters, they answer all of the basic philosophical existential questions that we all have, like, where did we come from? Who are we and why are we here? We're going to get the answers to those questions. We're also going to get the answers to more detailed questions like, uh, what is a man? What is a woman? What is marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? What are the roles of marriage? What is truth? What is good? What is evil? What is right? What is wrong? What's wrong with the world and how do we fix it? This book is just filled with answers. There's so many answers in here. We might even find the answer to what's wrong with the Titans. All right, that's how good it is. And so uh, we're gonna look at this for the next four weeks. And so here's how we're gonna kind of frame this up. We're gonna look at the origin of creation. We're gonna look at the origin of man. We're going to look at the origin of sin and we're going to look at the origin of salvation. That's the picture of what we're gonna do for four weeks And today, appropriately, we're going to look at the origin of creation in Genesis 1 through uh, 1 through 26 or 25 verses. So if you have your Bible, uh, get that out. And I trust everybody here knows where Genesis is at in the Bible. Uh, So pull that out. And uh, it's, 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 uh, there's a lot to mine through the gold of Genesis 1. Uh, we, we probably won't have time to do everything. So what I want to do this morning uh, is to kind of do this Google Earth view of Genesis 1 through 25. And then zoom in on three things that I think are important for our foundation. Those three things are God created, God called it good, and God called it mine. Those three things we're going to look with us together. Now, as we jump into a book, one of the things I like to do as we start always a new book is make sure that we have some context. Uh, what space do these words come into? And it's important because when Moses penned the book of Genesis, Israel had just come out of 400 years of Egyptian slavery and exposure to polytheism, which is the worship, of course, of many gods. In Egypt, they had exposure. I mean, they had gods for everything. They had gods of light, of darkness, the sun, the moon, the stars. Everything was a god. Uh, they had God, animals were God. Uh, they they worshipped uh, clouds and sky and seas and all these things. They even believed that man uh, could be divine. And so, so all of those things... They had an effect on God's people while they were in there. Many of them had, had succumbed to the liturgies they learned at the University of Egypt. And so, so Moses, in this space, God gives him revelation to go pen it. And as he begins to unpack the six days of creation here today, he demolishes all of the pagan polytheistic gods without even acknowledging all of them. And so that's what's happening right here as Moses pins these words in the context. Now, this is important for us today as well, because um, in the the very Egypt-like world that we live in, where the so-called experts and scientists and philosophers and universities, you see, they they all claim under the guise of progress... They all claim to have the answers to our origin and all these questions we're going to look at. They, they claim to know uh, where we came from, who we are, and why are we here. But here's the deal. They keep changing their mind. It, it changes every dang day. And we all know that it hasn't solved anything, right? It hadn't solved the world's problem, and it hadn't solved us either. 
And one of the reasons it hadn't worked is because when you believe in everything, you believe in nothing. This, I believe, is the reason our world is in such disarray today is because our world has abandoned the truths of Genesis 1 through 3. That's why the world is the way it is. And so I think equally is the importance now, because I believe if we would embrace the truths of Genesis 1 through 3, I think that's the space where you and me and all of us, we're going to find individual flourishing. We're going to see marriages flourishing and households flourishing, and we're going to see cities like Smyrna and Murfreesboro, Laverne, Antioch. We're going to see cities flourish. We're going to see societies flourish, and we're going to see the nations and the world flourish if we can just embrace the truths here in Genesis 1 through 3. Now, when we abandon all of those things, that's when floundering happens, all right? So I want us to prepare as we look at these things Prepare to believe for the next four weeks. Prepare to believe these things. And so uh, as, let's dive in to these three things that I, I think is important for us today. Uh, the first absolute truth we're going to see today is that God created. God created. Of course, Genesis 1.1, let's look at it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here already in the very first sentence... God is dominating. He is the subject of the very first sentence, and which is very appropriate. The rest of the chapter, his name, the name God is mentioned 35 times. God is the subject of this sentence, this book, this entire Bible. God is the subject of the Bible. If we read it any other way, we read it wrongly. It's because God is our greatest need. I don't know why you came in here today, what you wanted out of church today. Loneliness, relief, peace, uh, I, I don't know. Whatever you thought you, was your greatest need walking in here today, listen, your greatest need, my greatest need has always been God and it will always be God. And that's why he is the subject of the whole book of the Bible. So, In this subject that is God, the name is also important here because the name of God here is in the plural form. It's the name Elohim. So already the very first sentence in the Bible, we have been introduced to the beautiful Trinitarian God, one God in three persons. We're going to see that play itself out. We have God the Father speaking the world into existence We'll see in in verse 2, the Holy Spirit hovering over creation actively, a part of it. And we also know that John 1 said that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and everything was made through Jesus Christ, which is what Benji just read. So here we have the Trinity on great display out of the gate. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This statement here is really a, a statement of totality. The rest of the chapter is going to be describing this one single verse. And it is, it's pregnant with truth. It's, it's, it's so important that if we can embrace Genesis 1.1, we should have no problem embracing all of the rest of the Bible and everything in it. That's how powerful and important this is. It's, it, these pillars are, are, are placed upon this one single 
one single text that gives to our origin. Of course, we know about all of the different speculation about the origin of, of us. We're, 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 we're familiar with some of these things. Uh, some of the speculation, of course, is scientists speculate that the first life was kind of birthed out of RNA, ribonucleic acid. That's the, the form of life started out of that. Others uh, believe that um, meteorites brought these simple um, compounds to the earth and then just life just kind of happened. Um, some say macroevolution uh, gave way to a natural selection. Some would say that the world was virgin birth out of the Big Bang Theory. All of those things, of course, uh, speculation. And they not only are speculation, they actually go against science itself because nothing never makes something, right? And so uh, these are all just speculation that thankfully for the Christian, we don't have to rely on speculation because we have God's revelation. Unequivocally, we know and we believe that God created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to look at that here in just a moment. Now, as we dive into the details of creation, we don't get all the details we want. We don't get the answers to the questions like, well, how long did it take? Is it seven literal days? Is it seven ages? I mean, let's, let's talk about that stuff. We don't get the answers to that. We don't get the answers to everything we want to know, but here's what we get. We get the answers to everything we need to know. God intended Moses' pen that we would know that God is the creator, that we wouldn't miss that for the sake of chasing down theories. God is the creator. How does he do it? How does God create the world? When I create something, when I build something, um, I go to Home Depot or Lowe's, and I get the materials. And sometimes I have to go four or five times. You know that? You like you go there, you get what you need, you have to go back. That's kind of what I do. Well, in, in, as God created the world, he didn't go to Home Depot. He didn't go get plants and shrubs and put them in the ground and do all those things. He didn't have anything to work with. God created the world out of nothing, out of nothing. There was nothing there, no material, no matter, no nothing. The Bible calls this creatio ex nihilo, out of nothing. God created the world. Now, let's keep going in the text. Well, actually, let me show you this text. I think this is a good, a good passage because actually how he created the world was out of his out of his will and his word. He spoke and the world came into existence. Look at Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God's will and God's word spoke, the world came into existence. So let's keep going in the text now. Look at verse two. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So, sanctified imagination for just a minute. This is, the, this is kind of the, the blank canvas of creation. The earth, it says here, was formless and void. It's as if it was kind of floating in space as this unformed lump of clay. That's kind of the, the picture here. It's in the potter's hands. And so in this, the rest of the chapter, 
God addresses this formlessness and this void, and he does that two ways. God forms the world, and then God fills the world. So here's how he does this. Verses 3 through 13, God is forming the world. Creation days 1 through 3. Now, verses uh, 14 through 31 is God filling the world, creation days 4, 5, and 6. So there's some patterns I want us to see as we do that. Forming and filling is beginning to happen. So that's our sub-points. Let's look at the forming of the world. This is in verse 3 through 13. Let's read this together. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. On the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which there which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now, we don't have time to go into great super detail about every aspect of every single day. So let's summarize it by this. God On day one, God created light. And this light is not the sun. Uh, We don't know the source of this light, but here's what we know. It is either manifested by God or it is God himself. It's one of the two, but it's not the sun. And here is, we see at the very beginning of the Bible, there is a light that is not the sun. The Bible will actually end in the very same way. A light that is not the sun. So you have these two great lights. Uh, actually, that's the next section. Hold on to that. Uh, but this is, this is God. He made the light, and then he separated the light from the darkness. All right, that's day one. Day two, the heavens were created. Heavens here does not mean uh, glory in heaven, right? That's not what it means. It means the sky, the atmosphere, uh, your translation might say firmament, uh, clouds, all of those things are in there. That's what the heavens are. And then day three, we have God creating dry land, continents, seas, plants, trees, vegetation, all of those things. Um, that's basically the history of the world in the first three days. Now, what's, what's important to see here, again, is that Moses is dismissing all other pagan gods of sea, land, star, sky, all of those things here. He's dismissing the silliness of Mother Earth or Mother Nature or whatever you want to call it. Creation is the handiwork of God himself. 
God is creator of all of these things. Now that he has given the world form and order, it's now ready to be filled with light and life. And let's look at this one, the filling, 14 through 25. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning and the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. All right, in the same way, let me see if I can summarize here. Day four here, we have the sun, the moon, and the stars that were created. Uh, Moses called the sun and the moon the two great lights here. Uh, And then he just kind of throws in, and oh, oh, by the way, the stars. It doesn't get a whole lot of mention here. But uh, these three things, the sun and the moon and the stars, um, they are this cosmic machine that are absolutely working in perfect symphony together, perfectly placed by a sovereign good God and his very hand. Uh, There's no way in the world these things could be in the places that they are just by happenstance or coincidence. Let me show you some statistics here that may convince you further. The sun, for example, is 93 million miles away. Um, Now, on the sun, um, on the surface, it's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's how hot it is. If we were uh, one mile closer to the sun, we would burn to a crisp. Our flesh would burst into flames. If we were one mile further from the sun, we would freeze to death. The sun is where it's at by the perfect creator God and his handiwork. The moon, 238,000 miles away. If, if the moon were just a little bit closer to us, the tides would drown continents every day. That's what would happen. The stars, the stars, uh, they, they, they don't just, they're just randomly up in the sky. When we look up in the sky, we think, well, there's no random order. No, the, Psalm 147 says that God put them in space. He actually knows how many they, there are. They're not innumerable to him. He knows exactly how many, and 
He gave them names. That's how well he knows his own creation. I read last week where uh, there are more stars in the sky and the galaxies on the earth. There's more stars than all of the words that have ever been spoken by every single human throughout history. That's how many stars there are. Creation screams the glory of God. They five, six, sea creatures, birds, land animals. So everything that flies in the air from an eagle to a hummingbird, everything in the sea, leviathans, sharks, dolphins, uh, every livestock or creeping thing, which just is a, a generic term for every single animal on the planet, God created them all. British author James Harriet says, all creatures, great and small, the Lord God created them all. It's a good little thing for kids to kind of remember a little simplistic uh, thing there about our God to remember. God didn't just give those creatures to the planet. He gave them the blessing. What was the blessing? The blessing was to reproduce to populate the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. Because in that repopulation, that multiplication, they were multiplying the glory of God on the earth. More population. It just makes the earth more full of who God is. So now God had formed the world in three days. He's now filled the earth in the last three days. And so now you have this narrative that's building. Now this earth is primed and ready for the apex of God's creation. The crown jewel, me and you, man. But you gotta come back next week for that, all right? We're not getting to that day. You gotta come back to hear that. It's gonna be good for us. What does this mean? Why, like, I think when we read stuff like this, and we, we're familiar with the Genesis account, most of us are here, and, and some are like, okay, I'll agree with that, it's this intellectual knowledge, it's theology, and I understand all these things, but you probably want to know uh, how this impacts your life. If I, if I don't show you that, I'm probably not doing a very good job on, on preaching. Here's what I want you to know. If God can take an empty, formless, void, dark earth, if he can take that and make it into something beautiful, can he not do that for your life? Are there any limits to what he can do for your life in the middle of your nothingness? Can he not come into a marriage that has no form, it's empty, it's dark, it has no light, there's nothing there. Can God not come into that space and make something beautiful? Oh, he can. I just uh, met this past week with a new couple who were joining the church, Ryan and Amanda Bain. And uh, I met with them and they were sharing their testimony. And about a year ago, their marriage was just that. Empty, void, chaos, darkness, no life. There was nothing there. They both just said, hey, there's nothing there. 
There's no shot of anything ever coming out of this. What do you think God did in the middle of that space? Well, he started, he made something out of nothing out of Ryan. He saved him. <laughs> he, nothing, something. And then God has made something beautiful in their marriage. They've been sitting right in that seat every Sunday for the past year because that's what God does. He makes something beautiful out of nothing. And he can do that same thing in your life. Where might he do something in that life? If he can create life out of nothing, can he not create and and fill the emptiness of a barren womb? Oh, he can. If he can create life and form out of what is dark and empty, can he not reconcile a relationship in your life that you think there is nothing there? Yes, he can. If God can create something beautiful out of nothing, can't he rescue a lost prodigal child where you just don't think there's nothing there? The next time that you have a need in your life, a desire in your life, and you begin to try to fix it, to to, to do your part, to try to make this happen, just remember to beg and plead to the God of the universe who created something beautiful out of nothing, and he can do that for you too. This is a beautiful, beautiful truth for us. Let's go to the second piece here. God called it good. God created, then God called it good. Everything that God brings into being is good. We're told here six times, uh, in, in so far in verses 1 to 25, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Just repetition. It was good. So it's not just true that God created the earth. It was good. He, 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 it's almost as if he just does this and this great divine artist sits back and just declares his handiwork. He says, it was good. Look at, the, uh, look at Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. If we believe this, we believe that everything in creation is the handiwork of God, then that means when we look upon the earth, when we see and contemplate creation, heavens, the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, the rainbows, the constellations, the seas, the ocean, um, waters, creatures, when we see these things, it doesn't matter if it's through a, a microscope or a telescope or with the human eye. When we see those things, we aren't supposed to just see cool things. We're not just supposed to see things that give us a tan or some vitamin D. Uh, We're not supposed to see things that we can hike or we can hunt. We're supposed to look at all of those things in creation and think about the goodness of God. Think about when you get off the interstate up here at 24. Sometimes I, 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 I get off the exit and I'm coming home and, and I just look up in the sky and there is this kaleidoscope of colors that are upon the expanse. I think God is good. <laughs> that's the desired effect. That's what the Christian mind does. It doesn't just say, that's a cool sky. Oh, did you see a rainbow today? 
No, we say, wow, God is amazing. He's so compassionate and caring for his creation. He's creative. He's beautiful. He is good. This is what the Christian thinks of when they see creation, the goodness of God. In fact, I would probably say that if you don't think about those things when you see creation, you may not know the creator at all. You may not know him at all. He is good. And everything in creation is meant to reflect his goodness. The last thing we're going to see is this. God called it mine. Mine. He's the creator of all things. He calls it good. And then he owns all things. Look at Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Psalm 89, 11. The heavens are yours, the earth is also yours, and the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Church, this earth is not ours. God owns everything, macro things, micro things. There is not one particle of dust, not one speck in all the galaxies across the world, not one single particle of dust that God does not rightly stand over and say, mine, from atoms to cells to DNA to mountains, whatever it is. He stands over all of his creation and says, it's all mine. I own everything. And in his grace, he allows us to be stewards of his creation. Look at Psalm 89, 11, or I'm sorry, Psalm 8, 6. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So now let's talk about what that looks like. If we believe this, that everything in the world is owned by God, then that means we look at our lives and the things that we like to say, mine, you know, sometimes we're like childish kids, mine, 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 mine. Well, we we can't do that. If we understand the theology behind this, we look at everything in our lives and we, we say it's God's. We don't look at this is my dream house, this is my fortress. I just want a great place to, to, to grow up in. I love. We don't say that. We say this is God's house. And how does God want us to use this house for his glory? When we look at our children, we ultimately don't say they're mine, mine, mine. These children are on loan from God. They're gifts from him to be used for his glory. Our money, oh man, how many times do we sound like children? My money, my money, my money. You don't own anything. We don't own anything. 100% is all God's. And it's also not, I give 10% to God, but then the other 90 is mine. No, it's all God's. It's all God's to be used for his glory. It's not only that. It's our time. 
Think about our time. This is what I want to do with my time. These are my plans. This, this is my talent. And I think it's there so I can earn a big paycheck, climb the corporate ladder, make a lot of money. No, this is a God-given talent meant to glorify his name and make much of him. If he owns it all, we have to submit to the truth. God not only owns our time, our, our mornings. We should give our mornings to God. <laughs> They're his. They're not meant for me to get up and do what I want to do with it. My Sundays are not my Sundays. They're Lord's days for him meant to come and worship him. Everything in the world is God's meant for us to steward for his glory. And you know what else is God's? You know what else God owns? He owns you and he owns me. Whether we acknowledge that or not, he is the owner of all things. Look at Psalm 24, 1. The earth is is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world. We've already established that, but look at this. And those who dwell therein. God owns you. God owns you. And that's a good thing, by the way. I want God to own me. And if he does own you, and you acknowledge these things theologically, then here's the deal. Your body is not your own. Right? But he's not, uh, you don't get to do what you want to do, what feels good, looks good, tastes good. You do, it's, it's, it's God owns your body. You glorify God with your body. That means your life, our life is really not our own to do whatever we want to do. That whole chase your dreams, follow your heart nonsense. Wow, how wicked is that? My life is not my own. It's God's. Everything in it. I don't make my plans for what I want to do with my life. I say, God, I'm bought with a price. What do you want me to do with your life? And here's the deal. When we submit to that, you see, that's the place where human flourishing actually starts to happen. Remember, this is all for good, right? So it's not just God saying, I own you. I'm just dominating you. You do what I say. You obey my laws. You all. That's not God. It's not the heart of God. He says, when you submit to these things and know that I own you, that I'm for your good, that will lead to the flourishing of individuals, homes, families, societies. Everything in existence is about God really answered already the philosophical and existential questions today. I hope that you embrace them. I hope you don't just embrace them in head. Um, I I hope that you embrace them in heart, and then they work themselves out in your hands and feet in your life. Now, let's close this morning. Um, a, A Christless sermon is not a sermon at all. One of the things here at our church, if you're fairly new, is, is we, we, we have to see Christ in everything that we read in Scripture. Uh, we have to be able to see the gospel in every book of the Bible. We have to be able to see sin and salvation in Jesus in everything that we do. And so we have to pause here and see 
uh, those things. And so you might be like, well, how are you going to do that? It's Genesis 1. This is before the fall. There is no sin. Uh, there, there's no need of salvation yet, and, and there's no Jesus needed, right? That's what you may say. No cross needed. Fall hasn't happened. Well, let me see if I can help us see this gospel in the book of Genesis. Salvation follows the very same pattern that we see here in creation. All right, so let me say it like this. Because of our sin, every single human is born without God and is just like the earth before God spoke it into existence. Formless, empty, dark, without purpose, chaos, uh, disorder. Call it whatever you want to. That is exactly our life apart from God. I love what um, 16th century theologian Blaise Pascal says about this idea. Listen to what he says. There is an abyss within fallen man, an emptiness in us, some uncomfortable space due to our sin that can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, which is to say only by God himself. So here's how salvation happens. By the grace of God, his will and his word speaks to you the words concerning his son Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection. And when he, when he does that at your salvation, the Holy Spirit is hovering over your dark heart, ready to move in and take occupancy inside of you. This is the good news of the gospel. When he does that, the Holy Spirit recreates us, forms us, fills us, and he did it all from nothing, ex nihilo. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul says this. For God, who said, let, all, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ came, he formed us, he fills us with light. He gives order to our lives, church. Christ came, the Christ, the creator, who gave order to the universe, also does that to your life. All of his good commands we talked about, all of this order that he has established in the rhythms of our life, they're for good. He brings order in the midst of chaos. If, listen, if you're here today and you feel kind of like your life is empty, dark, without purpose, void, no light, chaos, disorder, whatever you want to call it, if that's you, here's the good news of what you hopefully have heard today. You can bring all of that to Christ. The same Christ who formed the earth, filled the earth, brought light, 
order, goodness into the universe can do that in your very life. You just need to say the words. You just have to say, I'm a sinner, I repent, I turn to Christ. Christ, form me, fill me into something beautiful, and he will do that for you. If he can do that, if he can create the world out of nothing, he can create something beautiful out of you. Somebody might be here today, and you might be a believer, and some of this stuff is not new necessarily to you, but your life might be in complete chaos right now. You may feel dark and empty and all of those things. Here's what I would say to you. Uh, Don't let your feelings govern you. Don't let them govern you. Let the word of God govern you. Remember that Christ has formed you. He's fashioning you into the image of his son. He's filling you. He has filled you with the Holy Spirit. The light of the world is inside of you. Embrace those truths. Submit to the good order that he has established for your life. This is the truths of God's word today. Let me pray for us and then we'll give some space to respond. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your perfect and true word that has reminded us of things that we have forgotten, that has taken us to places that we've never been before. Um, Father, it's, it's perfect. It is absolute truth in a world that is full of confusion and lies. God, thank you for something that anchors us. Thank you for the church. Thank you for a people that come together once a week to remember who we are, where we came from, and what our purpose is in life. Father, thank you for Christ, for forming us, filling us with light and life, giving us order, giving us purpose. I pray that we give our lives back to you in proper response. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.